Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something, and I hope you'll be inspired to write, because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. I am Kat Caldwell, and this is episode 172 of the podcast. It is March 10th, 2023. Um, As I record this, it'll go out March 13th. Now, before we get into today's episode, my guest is my um, friend Stacy Juba, and we're going to talk about how we can write the emotions of our characters in a new and fresh way. Um, Stacy Juba is an editorial um, developmental editor, and she is really great at this stuff. So I'm excited um, for you guys to hear the conversation that we have. She has so much to say, so we try really hard to keep it on just the scene structure and keeping and writing the emotions and getting that onto the page. But as you can hear in the beginning, we could literally talk about pretty much anything. (laughs) So, so that is the interview section. Um, I just want to give you guys a heads up. It is mid May and um, the structure of the podcast will probably start changing a bit. No, it's not. It's mid March. (laughs) It's March. Uh, the the structure of the podcast will probably start changing in May because my fabulous sound editor is going to get her doctorate and I am so happy for her, but she is fabulous at sound editing and I am not. <laughs> so um, until I find somebody to replace her, um, we might go a little bit simpler. Plus there is news that YouTube is going to bring in RSS feeds into um, their structure. And so we can have the podcast automatically upload there, um, which is great. At the moment, I'm trying to get the interview uh, videos over there, but the the truth is it takes a lot of work to put, you know, sort of an intro and outro or a scene card to it. Um, and I would just prefer writing, honestly. So at the moment you can find the interview um, videos over there, but I'm thinking of possibly doing this first section um, that I do where I talk about your writing and writing tips um, and sort of what's going on in my life. I'm thinking about interspersing that with the interview files and uh, episodes and just sort of having shorter episodes then. I'm sure you guys wouldn't mind having shorter episodes. Um, you know, jo- Joanna Penn does something where she does in between episodes, um, and so I thought of that as well, but I, I just don't think that I have the time for it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm still thinking a lot about it. If you guys who want to tell me what you would prefer, would you like shorter episodes? Do you like the format as it is? Um, there's even a possibility of possibly doing the interviews live and then just putting them out on YouTube. I'm not sure there's so many possibilities these days. Um, So 
I don't know. If you guys want to let me know, you can tweet me at pencils lipstick, or you can find me on Instagram at pencils and lipstick, all spelled out. Of course, Kat Caldwell is out there as well. You can just um, fill out the contact form on pencilsandlipstick.com or catcaldwell.com. Let me know how you like to listen to your podcast. And do you listen on YouTube to podcasts? And do you like to see the video? Um, I just think that's interesting. YouTube right now is the second um, platform that people go to, which I find odd. Um, and that's just one statistic. So that could be, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Whenever we get these statistics, I, I pre- I'm pretty sure we could find a statistic that, you know, will satisfy what we think is right. So that, that's just one source. But it's up there. People are listening to podcasts on YouTube, um, maybe because they have the subscription service. I don't know. Um, if you are f- having trouble finding back episodes on iTunes, I am trying to fix that. Um, yeah, that's a big pain. <laughs> so little things, it's just all this little tiny work that I'm having to do. And iTunes isn't super helpful about it. They sent me a whole form of this might be what's wrong. So I'm going through all of those and there's some sort of tag in there and who knows. So yay. Yay for technology. Yay for getting the podcast out to you guys, but not yay for all of these little issues. So we, I am trying to work on that. Um, Spotify and everybody else seems to have the back episodes. I, I don't know why iTunes has to be a bigger pain, I guess, because they can be. Um, they're like the Amazon of podcasts. <laughs> they can just do whatever they want. Uh, so I, I recommend, you know, finding another app, I guess, if you want to. Uh, iTunes right now has like six episodes, the, the last six. So I'm trying, guys. I'm really trying. Um, So far this month, I've been talking a lot about scenes uh, because the scene workshop is coming up next this week as the episode goes out. So if you're listening to this Monday or Tuesday morning, you can still sign up. Um, you can find the information in the show notes below. Um, but this the scene workshop will not be um, repeated in the Write With Us online retreat in May. It's just we we have seven fabulous workshops already, so we don't need one more. But I'll bring back the scene again. But we're talking a lot about scene because scene is the easiest way to get quick feedback as a writer. And I think it's a fabulous way, especially for new writers or especially for standalone writers, um, you know, writers who write standalone novels. Um, it's a cheaper way to get feedback as well. So if you sign up to get a, a scene feedback, you know, you can you can maybe spend, I don't know, I don't know other people's prices, but the workshop's $47, you know, to to edit your, your scene personally. Um, I usually charge between 75 and 85. It kind of depends on how long it is. Um, so you, and the, the reason that it's a good thing to do is because a scene is basically a mini story inside your story. Kind of the same idea applies to the entire book. So if you can get down scenes, um, you can get down your story. Does that make sense? Um, and within the scene uh, workshop, we're going to talk about what kind of scenes you need in each story. And so we're not going to go into that today, but what I want to talk to you guys about today is in your scenes, really make sure that 
the the action that you need the the character to do is not super contrived. Now, in your first pass on your draft, um, it's probably going to be contrived. Like you need character A to get to place C, and you come up with this idea, you know, and they get they somehow get there, right? So on on your second pass through or third pass through. Sit for a second and think about how did that person get there? And um, was it too easy? Does it make sense? Is it going to bring up a question of like, why did they go there in the reader's head? If it does, you don't want that to happen. You want to fix it, right? So let's say um, their mom is calling and she's asking them to come over and they say, no, I have to get to work. You know, maybe their mom is always asking for help and they say, no, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. And she's persistent. And they say, okay, I'll stop by on my way to work. The dialogue in that situation, you need to show like the change of heart. Um, You need them to get to the mom's house because maybe that's where like the murder is or whatever is going to happen next. But it, it needs to be like, true to life in the sense, unless your character is really a pushover in which anything anyone asks of them, they do. Um, you need to sit and think of like, what is the situation? Like either the mom needs to become, I really need you here. I really need you here. You know, like very stressed out about it. Um, the person needs to look at their watch, you know, try to calculate how far they could get. Okay. What do they have on their agenda that day at work? We need to see that as a reader. So really look at your scene and look at it as a reader and think of like, what would this person be doing if their mom called and they said, I need you to come over. And what if their mom calls like every day or never, or, you know, like what is happening in their life and in this relationship? Um, Especially if the character has to move like outside of the journey that, you know, the path that they were taking, we don't tend to like (laughs) to step outside of um, what we had planned to do, right? So um, it it takes an extra push to get us somewhere, right? Um, So in that same sense, you know, like if you need them to get somewhere um, and they're making this decision and it's sort of like, too easy. You need to look at that. The other thing that I see often is when you need somebody to get somewhere is um, a lot of filler. So like you need, let's say you need your character to be in the park at midnight. And so you have them in the beginning of the scene, their friend calling and asking them to come over and they go over to their friend's house and they play badminton in the yard and then they have dinner and they drink a soda and it gets late, but they don't really leave yet or or whatever. And there's just like this whole filler scene of like nothing's happening except that you need the character to be in the park at midnight. Just cut the filler scene. I know that sounds harsh, but cut the filler scene and have them walking to the park already um, to get to the action. If, you know, if you can start where they're leaving the friend's house, you know, it was a nice evening, but it's late. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm past curfew. You know, my mom's going to kill me sort of thing. (laughs) You know, um, 
and get them to the action faster. That will get give you more time to be inside the action. That's I usually see this filler scene when um, there's about to be a really big climax um, and something really significant happening to the character. A lot of times the inciting incident or th- something like that. And if you need to write that, which again, I am a you know very wordy writer. I like writing those things. Like, where was this character? Um, but I like writing it. I like getting it out. Okay, what are they doing? Okay, I need them to like talk about the the mom and their relationship with the mom and the boyfriend and you know the maybe they're tempted to sleep over or whatever and then finally get them to the park but the truth is like at this point in my writing I know perfectly well I'm going to have to cut that probably thousand words um if you can do this in something like plotter which I am trying to do in fact I'm trying to get a lot of the sort of filler scenes down in plotter which is something I really like um and a lot of times as I get through that filler scene, I will then find some good dialogue or some notes that I want in there. So if you can do it in a program like Plotter, uh, where it saves automatically and it's just there, that's great. If you need to put it down on paper, that's fine as well. Just know that most likely it's going to need to be cut. (laughs) I know all of my new writers that I'm coaching are like, they like cringe and I remember cringing a lot, but I'm a big fan now of cutting. Um, just because I need that extra time to write. I need, I like to write out the background and I think that it's a good idea to write out the background of what, what the character is doing um, before the book starts and their relationships with the people that are going to be in the book. Just know that it probably doesn't have a place in the book because we really have to think of, you're writing the story, right? And it's part of you and it's creative and it's art. At the same time, you're writing the story for someone to read. So in the end, it is a product to be consumed. And so you have to think about the consumer. And so you put yourself in a place of the consumer. And why do you hate reading classics? (laughs) Let me just ask you this. Why do you hate reading classics? Like remember back to high school or college, if you dared to study literature in college and you were given like, um, this tome <laughs> written by Dickens or somebody. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And how many times did you just skim pages of either description or them like wandering the street or whatever, you know? And you can sort of like, yeah, the writing was great, but you just, in your modern brain, you're just skipping, 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 like nothing happens. Okay. So the modern reader doesn't like that anymore, right? So if you are read, if you are writing this for it to be read by someone and consumed by someone um, and most likely reviewed by someone, you have to put yourself in that position of the consumer as well. And so, yes, I like reading slower books. I'm all for them if they're written well and if this scene has something to do with this story. I even like writing reading classics. Some people can be very wordy. Um, the black and the red, is that what it's called in English? Le noir et le rouge. It's like a French book and it's like, oh my gosh, there are so many scenes in there that you you just think the whole time, like, what is happening? <laughs> like, Why is this scene here? Um, I don't think it would pass modern expectations. So we are in the modern world. So what I want you to do is to put yourself in that consumer and think like, 
is this page (laughs) of the scene giving anything to the reader, like anything at all? Or could it literally be summed up in two lines? So if they're they need to get to the park and they're leaving and they're closing the gate and they're walking past and they the character's thinking, I really hope mom's asleep and I can just sneak in. I shouldn't have stayed out that late, you know, playing badminton wasn't worth it, <laughs> or something getting grounded. Like that basically tells the reader that they were with their friend playing badminton and it got late, which is basically what your thousand words told them, right? Um, So always think of like, can I sum this up in two sentences to get them to the action? Most likely. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there aren't certain things that have to be um, written out. So if it's like the planning part, uh, maybe you're writing a caper or a heist or a a thriller, um, most likely they're going to need, you're going to need to show the reader you know, the plan, like let's say they're going in to get a terrorist and like part of the plan of what they're doing, if that's how you've structured the story, then, you know, if they need to walk past someone from the planning the room to the operations room, I don't even know what these things are called. Um, then yes, there are, you know, steps, there are scenes in which are going to be a little bit slower that you just need them to um, get to the plot point, right? But still make sure that you're not having like, um, hey, Jim, Hey Mike, <laughs> conversations. If you have Hey Jim, Hey Mike conversations in that time, most likely they need to be cut. And he's walked quickly down the corridor to the operations room, barely acknowledging the um, the subordinates that he walked past. You know, yeah, that might have been rude, but he'll he'll make up for it later. You know, I think that was Jim I passed in the hallway, and I didn't even say hi. Okay, I'll, I'll make sure to apologize later or something like that. So if you need to write it out again, um, just for your own sanity, do it, but just know that you might need to cut it (laughs) later. You know, cutting our darlings, this is how we do it, right? Um, So as far as things with me go, we are, I am trying really hard to get get certain manuscripts done. you know, bended loyalty is done, and so I'm looking for covers for those for that one, um, a cover that will go with bended love, and bended love is going pretty well. I'm just having, I'm struggling to find time. I keep wondering how people find all the time. So, if you're watching this on video, my office looks weirdly empty because. I am going to take things down and paint because that's what I do. When I don't have time, I decide to add one more thing to my plate because I'm smart like that. So I will probably paint it because you can't see, but like in front of me, the paint is real bad. Like It it really needs help and it drives me crazy. So um, my office will be changing. I'll post pictures on um, catcaldwell.author Instagram. So if you like seeing things like that, um, be sure to check out last week's episode with Emma Desi. We talk about launch pad, the countdown to writing your book. Stacy Juba is also part of that book. Um, she wrote the part about grammar. I really like this book. I'm so, so proud of it. I can't say it enough. If you want to be part of a giveaway of that book, you should sign up for my writing newsletter below. You 
I have some really cool stuff in my writing newsletter and I talk every single week about something that will help you in your writing. I work really hard to find something that will be of use to you as you write your novel. So you should sign up for that. You'll also know all about the workshops and the giveaways and the writing retreats and everything. That is the best way to find out because, you know, Instagram sometimes doesn't show you all the things. So we are about to get into the interview. I want to tell you guys a little bit about Stacy's new mastermind. It is free. Um, she always has so much great content for writers. So I'm really excited to tell you guys about that. So I will go into the pre-recorded little thing about her new mastermind, and then we'll get into the interview. Stacy Juba has a new masterclass available and it's free. It's called how to create your editing game plan and fast track your book. Three costly mistakes to avoid. Inside this free on-demand masterclass, you'll learn the four stages of editing, types of editors and what they do, and the average cost of publishing a book. You'll also walk away knowing why hiring an editor too early can be an expensive mistake, the differences between high-level and low-level edits so that you can aim high, and the basics of the self-editing framework that Stacey Juba has taught to hundreds of authors. You'll also learn about a course that I, Kat, have gone through and highly recommend. Stacy's signature program, Book Editing Blueprint, a step-by-step plan to making your novels publishable. You know that I can't recommend Stacy Juba's courses highly enough. I think that you should click the link below after this interview and watch this special masterclass on editing. Stacey Juba is my guest today. You can find her at shortcutsforwriters.com. Stacey is an author, a freelance editor, and an online course creator dedicated to helping you reach your full potential as a writer. Again, you can find out more about Stacey at shortcutsforwriters.com. Hi, Stacey. How are you doing today? I'm very good. <laughs> Hey everyone, we have Stacy Juba, my friend, with us today. Um, she is my favorite editor in the whole world. <laughs> in case anyone's new to the podcast, would you give us a little rundown of who you are? Uh, yes, I'm a fiction author of uh, mystery and romantic comedy and some young adult books. And I'm also a freelance developmental editor and line editor and the founder of Shortcuts for Writers, where I teach online courses for writers to help them simplify the writing and editing process and fit writing into a busy life. Yes, which is everything we need. (laughs) (laughs) You have an awesome course um, on like self-editing and getting ready to push out the the manuscript, which I think is amazing. And I tell everyone about it. We're going to talk about something else today. But just talking about that course a little bit with editing, like I saw the other day that somebody was like, um, putting out memes, you know, about like editors being all, uh, I mean, writers being all frazzled because they're editing, you know, or like, I hate editing and I hate all the, and it's so funny to me, this like journey that we have, right. Of like, you, you get something on the page. And I think what we hate about editing is that a, we don't really know how to do it. <laughs> you know, So that's why I like your course. Cause it, it goes through a lot of, cause it's more than just finding the missing periods. Right. It's right. Like it's the big things, the big structural things down to the 
word choice and sentence structure down to the periods and then the right. little things like that. It's a big, um, all-encompassing endeavor. So you need yeah. to have some kind of system. Yeah, because I think that helps that you're a developmental editor when you put together that course. It was not just about like, you know, do you have the Oxford comma or not? Like developmental editing. Can you tell us what the difference is with developmental editing? And you also do line editing because you know all your grammar, but there is a big difference. Right. So develop developmental editing. And, and I created the course based on seeing my editing clients make the same kinds of mistakes over and over. Mm -hmm. um, I was writing the same comment, same kinds of comments in my editorial letters. So, so that's why I decided to create the course um, as a stepping stone to hiring an editor so that they can save some money um, and submit the manuscript when it's further along. But um, developmental editing is where um, you give a broad overview of everything from the structure of the, of the plot and um, the, is there enough conflict and obstacles and um, satisfying conclusion to the character development from the major characters to the supporting characters? You know, do they have a character arc? Do they, do we, does the reader understand their motivations um, to the point of view? Um, are you getting into the narrator's head um, deeply enough? Mm. Um, when if you're writing third person, if you're writing first person, are you doing it skillful, skillfully so it's not coming across like as a diary? Yes, um, <laughs> you know, to the dialogue and the pacing, um, um, the timelines is everything um, right? You know, add up that you know when it, that you're writing it, um, it is it following like a timeline so that the date? You know, if you say it's on something happened next week, is it really happening? you know, next week, did you like figure out, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, how to put this story into a timeline so that readers understand how much time is passing. Um, and then line editing, um, which I also go into the course I also do is, I like line editing because it's very creative. It's different from copy editing. So line editing is more like um, just punching up sentences mm -hmm. to make them more vivid and to tighten them up um, so they're more active than passive, um, just kind of make them more colorful. Yeah. Um, and I can, when I work on a client's manuscript, I mean, I kind of do like developmental editing in some degree of line editing together, but it depends on how far along the manuscript is. Because obviously if a, um, a more advanced writer submits a manuscript that they've done several drafts and it's further along, then there's less structural issues. And I can, as I'm going along reading it, I can, you know, punch up the word choice and everything. Um, right. and strengthen the sentences. But if it's a beginner writer, um, where they're going to have to make a lot of big structural rewrites, like they, they're not getting in deep enough into their character's point of view. They're not, they have a lot of plot holes. They're, um, the writing's very passive. Then obviously doing the line edits would be, they would be obsolete because I have to do so much rewriting anyway. So in that right. case, I'll do line editing just as an example. Like this is how you make a sentence more active, or this is yeah. an example of how you're overusing certain words and so we can make it more vivid. And then yeah. copy editing is like the really the nitty gritty Oxford comma <laughs> kind of right. thing, the grammar and punctuation. And that's the last. But the it's last interesting step. how as writers, we seem to think we all go through this, I think, um, 
or maybe it was just me, where you start out writing and it takes so much to get that story onto paper that by the time you hit the end, you kind of think you're all, you're done. Like maybe there will be, you know, commas and <laughs> dialogue tags and things. <laughs> and your first like run through with an editor is just like, oh, it's so eye opening to be like, yeah. that, like, Everything that's in my head that I thought was on the page is not necessarily clear to anyone else who's not in my own head. <laughs> right. The first editorial letter can be a shock. Yes, it can <laughs> like, be, right. It could be a 10-page single-space letter telling you all these different things. And, you know, yes. your first reaction can be, oh, no. Yes. How am I going to pull off a rewrite? Exactly. I remember getting my first, and this was in... 2001. So, you know, the internet was a baby and we were all told at that time not to trust it, you know, <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing out there that's good. And I mean, you know, things were not blocked off, let's say things that nobody wants pop popping up on their, on their screen. And it, somebody, now I look back and somebody was kind enough. I say the word kind now to send me like five pages on really telling me why it wasn't good enough yet, but then pointed out the good things about it. But it just, it, it was so disheartening to me because I thought, oh, I spent like, I'm 19 or 20, 21 or something like that. I spent a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now you have the internet, you can go out and find out, like you said, you, you put together the course because you kept seeing the same errors. Like we make the same errors, right? We're not alone in this. We all tend to think that it's an easier process than it is. Yeah. Um, but we're we're like we could talk about the full structure, but today we're gonna talk more about like body language and kind of punching up the sentences like you like to say, which I think is fun. And like punching up the description and emotion. That's a that's a big job to do without like Without not, I think I feel like we can either not do it or we become really angsty. So how do we do it <laughs> without becoming like super dramatic? I've gotten that edit too. You know, way back, maybe it still happens. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see with the new one. <laughs> but I remember getting that edit of like this person's really dramatic. Like, could you could you notch down on the dr- dramaticism or whatever? Um, and I think that's because I was overly describing every reaction that they might have to something, you know. So right. what do you think are the misconceptions first of when we're writing and we're trying to get like the story onto the page and the the characters' reactions? Um, let's talk about like the misconception of putting too little and then like putting too much. Yeah, I think um you know as a writer what your characters are feeling. Good point. And you have a tendency to like write that in dialogue, um, but it's it's hard for the reader to understand, you know, where that character is coming from. Why are they saying that? Why are they rea- why are they getting? Um, why are they reacting that way? Or it, like either like you might not have like if you're your narrator, you might not have gotten into their head enough or. Um, so, so when they have like this big explosion, like of yelling at someone, we're like, where did that come from? <laughs> because yeah. it's just, um, you didn't describe it enough, like how, okay. how they were feeling or a lot of times I'll see a lack of kind of body language and nonverbal communication and details in a scene where 
that's a dialogue scene where there's a few different characters. Writers mm. have a tendency to make it very dialogue heavy and we're not seeing as much of like the, what what is the character doing before they say the dialogue or in the case of the narrator, what is the narrator thinking or, you know, if they getting a, if they feel like the anger rising in them and, um, you know, someone's embarrassed, like their faces, like, pinkening or you know turning a shade of pink just little hints to show what the characters are feeling right um so it's you need to learn how to like weave that in to your scene um in a fresh and unique way because the other problem is that we have a tendency to see the same words over and over again (laughs) (laughs) we we do latch on to certain words don't we when we're writing well there's a couple things like first it's beginner writers have a tendency to just tell us how the character is feeling rather than showing us so to be like she he looked mad or you know he looked embarrassed or you know she felt is another word like she Mm. felt scared or she felt a little uneasy um so telling us rather than showing us but um and then the other component is the repeating of like these same words throughout the manuscript like I I actually created a looks and gazes guide for writers a free guide because the number one overused word I see in manuscripts is look like she looked at him he looked at her she she looked upset <laughs> he looked he looked mad you know yeah and um she looked up she looked down you know um he gazed at her she gazed at him and that that's just not very um fresh writing you know and, and it if you have a tendency to, you know, if if you submitted like five pages to an editor and they told you you used look, you overused a word like look in those five pages, you're probably doing it through the whole manuscript. So if you did a search oh. for that word, you're probably going to find that you used it like 300 times. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> or another popular one is eyes. You know, um, she looked into his eyes. <laughs> yep. He gazed into her eyes. Um, you know, she lowered her eyes. So you want to, it, it, and there's nothing wrong with like using eyes or using look sometimes, but you don't want to overdo it. And you want to make sure you're not just relying on like one or two aspects of body language and just overlooking everything else or, or nonverbal communication. Cause there's all, there's other cat- emotion categories you could draw upon yeah. um, when you're writing. So, you know, just becoming more aware of that. Yes. And I think that just, that takes a lot of, it takes work, like working with editors, right? People who are a little more advanced, people who aren't in your own head. So they can, they're really reading it. Like you're reading it, coming at it fresh. Like you don't know anything about it. You're So you're reading it like a reader would. And if the reader doesn't understand, get, like they don't see what we see in our head. And I remember some of the best advice was like from this one editor who was kind enough to read at least the first 30 pages or so, and then immediately knew because she was a professional what was wrong with the book. And it was, she said, you know, you cannot give us every description of what's going on with your characters. You have to allow and let go and let the reader fill in the blanks. And that was really eye opening to me because I thought, I thought that what I was reading when I read good books with good description was. Mm full description, but what I was doing was filling in the blanks. And she told me, go back and read books that you love 
and realize that she, they have very few description in your brain, your imagination is taking off. So it's interesting how then when you start to write, you think <laughs> you have these weird misconceptions, right? Of like what you should be um, writing or even what you have read. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. You, you know, you tend to, you know, exactly what's going on in the scene as you're writing it, but your readers might not, you know, make the same connection. So, so it's like, you don't want to, when, like you were talking before about overdoing it, like if it's like okay. the thing, you don't want to overdo it either. You do want to let readers and um, kind of fill in some of those blanks, so you don't have to. Um, like one th- one thing I noticed is that once writers become more aware of nonverbal communication, um, the importance of weaving it in, they they start stringing together a lot of nonverbal communication in one paragraph. Like, <laughs> oh, like know, what? Like, um. Maybe you know, I do like, this. <laughs> <laughs> like off the top of my head, yeah. <laughs> like if someone was nervous, you know, they'll kind of go overboard. Oh, they'll be with like their palms it. started being sweaty yeah. and their knees were shaking. And yes, I have done yeah. that. Yeah. I have done so, that as well. I went way overboard. <laughs> yeah, you just, they just take too many of those nonverbal cues and put them together. And it's like, okay, we we got the point. We don't yes. have to, you know, maybe two of those would would, would work, but we don't need like five of those cues in the same paragraph because then that's just telling the reader hey did you get the point she's nervous did you get that right so like you were saying you also want to you want to show it but you don't have to go on and on about it because your reader is going to you know get the message (laughs) yeah (laughs) if you go too 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 overboard with it they can make okay okay yeah I got it she's nervous let's just get on (laughs) right with this scene that's a good point that's, and I guess that's what I kind of call the angstiness of like over dramatizing the, is that even a word? I don't know. Um, and sometimes I think like with the angstiness, like right, um, writers kind of go overboard with the dialogue, oh, okay. you know, where they'll just go on, where they're, t- instead of saying like she felt sad or something, they'll, she'll just say it in the dialogue i'm like i'm you know this should just it'd be like a long especially if telling. it's first person right like I yeah like... Or, yeah or just kind of telling the other person like i'm so sad and this is what you know and it's really even though it's in dialogue she's still she's still really just telling the reader you know it's not coming across as the reader isn't really feeling it that oh she's so you know not really and i think that's the thing you want to make an emotional connection with your reader so that they can kind of feel what your character is feeling and relate to them and, you know, be like, okay, well, that's why she's reacting this right. way. But if you just go on and on, like, oh, I'm so sad. And, this, you know, I'm so, you know, did this, this, you just go on and on in the dialogue. It can come across as angsty and, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it can actually have the opposite effect of having your reader get frustrated, like with the character, because, you know, she comes across as, like too too much too much too much and we don't really understand you know it's it's different if we can like if it's your narrator we can get into her head and you know and somebody says something and it just you know maybe somebody gives her like a criticism and and it you know it's just like she gets a sharp pang of you know or her reminds her of something or it reminds her of when her mother used to criticize her right you know so we have that context of why she's reacting this way and then um then it just becomes more 
three-dimensional and believable, where if it's just kind of thinly portrayed and it's, you know, a lot of angst in the dialogue without the context and, you know, then it can, it can just be harder for the readers to relate to your characters because they're just, they're not really connecting on an emotional level. You're just kind of telling rather than showing. Yes. I think that's a really good point though, because if they can relate it back to why they're acting like that, like, and weaving in that, that, um, backstory a little bit of like, I don't know, this will probably be bad, but you know, John said it was becoming more critical with old age, just like her father used to constantly pick on her mother's, you know, blouse unbuttoning at the top or something, you know, like that sort of bringing back the backstory of why that would bother someone so much is so much more personal because you start thinking like, oh, I know what that person's like, (laughs) you know, like that's just like uncle Joe who constantly complained about everything. That's a, that's much more like, that's much more grounding for the reader. I feel like and much more personal because it, it, where our minds are weird. They can think of like 50 things at once as we're reading Uncle Joe can pop up or, you know, grandpa or whoever who was critical or, or maybe nice or whatever. And you'll actually have like a sweet or weird memory while you're reading it because the, the writer has really brought in the fullness of life, right? The fullness of like the richness of what it is to be human. Um, like I read, I'm reading Louise Erdrich's book. I think that's how you say her name, the sentence. And there was one really beautiful line where she's talking about one, person, but she had already introduced another character. And so she's talking about this one young man there. And she says, um, who's there to study the, in the Ojibwe language. And she says, who Penn, the other character she had already introduced, both admired and um, resented. And it's like, it's a really short sentence, but it makes you like think back to the other character and it gives you more insight into how complicated relationships are right and humans and it just like added another dimension to both of these these characters and it was like this long you know it's right it's really cool and even like if you have a scene where it's going to escalate into anger you know where they Mm. have like this outburst if you can just weave in a little bit of the nonverbal communication cue so you can see it building you know like it's the um somebody's she know like his his, in, in the thing is you can't get into every character's head. You, you don't want to head yeah. hop into what they're thinking or what their backstory is. So you can do that for the, for your narrator of that scene, but for the other characters, you've got to rely on like the, what, the, what your narrator is observing them do. Right. So it can be like, you know, um, there's different categories of nonverbal communication. So, I mean, we already talked about the eyes and the eye contact, you know, but then there's like their facial expressions, you know, is it, jaw clenching or they like you know a frown deepening <laughs> yeah you know or they um biting the lip um like movement um you know is someone like showing dominance by kind of moving forward and like you know stalking forward and like looming over them um or is somebody feeling like I don't know like defensive like their arms are crossed um you know, like touch, like if if someone, if you shook someone's hand, is it like a firm Mm. handshake or is it like, um, 
you know, I think limp. we talked about clammy, <laughs> limp. <laughs> clammy, clammy is a good Sweaty, word. you know, um, you know, because that implies like nervousness or un- right. uneasiness without, you know, coming out and saying, oh, he look, you know, he looks nervous. You, you, can, you can just, the reader just gets that from the right. limp, clammy handshake. Um, yeah, gross. You know, <laughs> get, you know, like the gestures, like if if someone is, you know, getting mad, you, you might see like their hands tightening, you know, or at their sides. Um, if they're impatient, like they're, you know, they could be kind of drumming their fingers on the table or foot can be kind of tapping up and down. Um, the way your characters like their sits and holds themselves with like their postures, they, you know, is it someone who's just like really casual, just kind of, you know, saunters into the room and straddles the chair and, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, or they, someone who, you know, who's like kind of slouching as they're, you know, feeling like they're being reprimanded or criticized and their shoulders are, you know, kind of slumping. This is, um, you know, it's someone interested in like leaning forward and the seat wants to hear the next word or they just look, you know, like teenagers trying to put their earbud in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or glancing down at the phone, you know, like, at the phone. <laughs> trying not to so. roll their eyes. That's, so it, what's interesting about that is it gives, you said that the narrator, so when when you're talking from the hat, let's let's think of a romance, I guess, and maybe he's talking, one of the romantic, and we'll just say him. Um, so what you're saying, like, especially for new writers, like he can't say, tell the reader what she's actually feeling, right? He can only say what's happening that he can see physically. Like, right. let's say they're having a conversation. So he can't say she felt this way or she was thinking she thought something. Right. Because like, I, mean, I, I do see that. Yeah. Like your narrator can, you know, you, you can get into your narrator's head. Like as you're, if you're having like a, you know, a scene of dialogue or something, you can, like we were talking before, you could have them remember something or, right. or, or they react a certain way because it triggered <laughs> some kind of... um it just triggered something, an emotional trigger for them. You can get into like the physiological things, like their their stomach, like um, just feeling getting queasy, or that they can they can feel the heat like rushing up to the back of their neck. Right. So you can, but you can't for the other characters. Um, you can't you can't say how say how they're feeling because we're not in right. their head we're in we have to stay close in, in your narrator's head so it's like what your narrator is observing right. so i'll like i'll see this mistake a lot where the writer will sort of unintentionally head hop you know mm-hmm. by saying that um even like for the for the for the narrator they'll say like her face reddened but the right. narrator can't see can't her see own it. face red, reddening. She can see everybody else's faces reddening, but she can't right. see her own. So she can, you know, feel the heat she can feel creeping heat. up. Right. You know, um, that's that, a common mistake, kind of though, right? It like, is, yeah. especially in the beginning. And I, I have also seen like the person might be able, might stalk off, and then suddenly the writer is writing about what that person sees, but they haven't changed scene, you know? So the person who the, who's still narrating is still in the house, let's say, and the person, you know, the other person stomps out the door and down the stairs and past the tree. It's like, well, 
how are they seeing that? You know, are they at the window watching them? Then we need to know that they're at the window. You know, so it's like these, it's these easy mistakes to make because you as the writer see it all, right? Like you're really right. in, like, it's like an aerial view of this whole movie in your head. <laughs> right. Because like sometimes I'll see in a scene where like the one, the character actually turned around or something, and but then, but then she'll like, observe that the other person's eyes like widened or something and then I'll then I'll kind of put in my track changes well how can she see her eyes widen when she's turned around you know um like when she's facing the other way so she can't see yeah but so it's like you have to and it's tricky as a writer you have to like really visualize it as a movie in yes. your head um and sometimes that just doesn't come through on the first draft because you're just trying to get it down understandably and you know the first draft doesn't have to be perfect but the problem is, is like when you send the early job to an editor and you're paying someone hundreds of dollars to edit like an early draft, you know, there's a lot of mistakes. You can, if you know what to look for, you can catch them yourself so that you can right. save your money and, and get a, a, a edit on a work that's more, much more further along. Right. Um, so the body language and the nonverbal communication is just something, you know, every writer needs to pay attention to. Um, yes. When they're in the editing process, even if it's even if you just want to get the scene down fast while you're writing, and that's fine. But just be, you have to come back to it and really do a editing pass on your book. Just looking for the body language and the you know, are you showing rather than telling? You know, do we understand why these characters are acting this way? You know, or in, in a, are you do you have a good balance of these different elements? Like for your, are we getting into your narrator's head? Um, you know, is there a balance of sort of like what they're thinking, um, what they're feeling physiologically? Is there, it, are people just always looking at each other and their eyes meeting or are you, you know, um, varying that and using like gestures and head movements and posture and, right. you know, how they're sitting and standing, um, facial expressions. Right. And you just, and I think to just read some good books that, you know, and really, really observe how other authors are doing it, you know, really successful authors. Um, now, with that said, I've read, I've read, a few, I've read a few traditionally published books lately, like that, you could tell we're just kind of turned out because I, I was kind of appalled at like how, how page with, but like the first chapter was like, she looked at him, he looked, he looked, and I, and now authors, you can't not see it, right? Yeah, no. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did this, you know, but it was a big name author who has several books coming out a year. And I guess uh, they just missed it. I think they just didn't. They were just trying to get it out. <laughs> and yeah. people bought it, you know, it was like this cozy mystery series that, um, you know, that has a lot of fans. And I think the earlier books in the series, they spent more, much more time on and were much more well developed. Huh. And then the, the later books, the writing just kept in the editing. Just and I think that's a thing about editing is that the traditional publishers don't have as much time to spend on editing as they did in the past. Right. So, you know, if you're a big, big name author with, you know, <laughs> tons of books out, maybe you can get away with that because you have fans. But if you're, a, you know, most of us can't get away with that. And, right. you know, right. You know, you really have to um, have like fresh writing and yeah, and, and, and see these things for yourself so like read a manuscript that you know I mean read a book that 
you really enjoy and you know that's getting a lot of positive reviews and um by established authors and and really observe how they're doing the body language and nonverbal communication and internal thought um in you're, you're sure they can look at each other and it's it's fine for them to you know gaze but maybe once eyes. or twice you yeah, know not like but, but you're gonna, <laughs> right but you're going to see a lot of just really nice turns of phrases like oh wow what a fresh way to say that or what a what a unique way to convey that same you know that that same kind of thing um it's just see the the twists they put on it and sort of just you know let yeah. yourself really just be creative as you're writing and you know if you see yourself writing something that's kind of cliched um just again like pretend like you're watching a movie like but it's a fresh way to just describe right. it. And what else can um, I say about that moment other than my her hands were sweaty again? Because it is true that the we tend to get into this, I don't know why, but we trip into the same phrases or the same gestures or whatever. Even, you know, four, five, six, seven books down the road, for some reason when you're just in the in the book, you just you end up saying the same thing over and over again. So like you said, like sit back and think, okay, where are they? But you really have to have a, a pretty critical editorial eye at that point. You can't just be the writer at that point. You really have to be looking and thinking critically of like, what else can I do to deepen this story and maybe have her observe something else or remember a, a a, a memory or a backstory, but like not sweating palms again. <laughs> you know, like right. what else could I? Do? What other senses could I use? Right. Um, and yeah, reading other books. I mean, I going back to you know, it's the one book I'm reading right now. The sentence she, you know, her husband, like of the character, rubs his hands together and puts his hands on her face, and she said she leaned into the warmth of his hands and like. That's not, it's not saying she felt secure, you know, she's not saying that, but that's the, the sensation you get, not just because of that sentence, but because of the the surrounding sentences as well, right? Like the dialogue that they're having, he's reassuring her, her, then he puts his hands on her face and she leans into it. And you, you understand as the reader that she feels safe with this man, you know, because somebody else could put your, their hands on your face and it's a threat, you know, right. like understanding that these a gesture doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? It's right. whatever you've put around it. Um, I mean, shrugging can be right perceived as many things. <laughs> right. You could just like not know. You could be kind of bored or like, you'd be like, I don't care, you know, annoyed or, you know, it's right. So, um, I think like another thing to do is just like observe people, you know, and keep okay. a journal, like if, just watch what people do when <laughs> yeah situations. like just, I like that you know if you're like in a coffee shop or something just like watch people and how they act listen to conversations and even how your friends and family just just pay more attention like you know right as to what and that can inspire you to you know to come up with new in um, new ways of like describing things. Um, and I, a couple of authors that I, I think do down for book communication well, are like Jody Picole, like someone like that, who just writes these, she writes this really um, intense, like in-depth stories about all kinds of 
you know, really original subject. So I think her writing is really original. So you could like read someone like her. Um, I like, I've been reading a lot of Leanne Moriarty lately. Okay. Um, you know, just try some different authors, even outside your genre to kind of mix it up a little bit. And oh see, yeah. And see how they're describing things and just become more aware of it and become more aware of what, what your crutches are. Like, you know, what are the phrases and, you know, that you tend to overuse the most and just become more <laughs> aware yes. of them. Like eyebrows. I see a lot of eyebrows raising. And eyebrows <laughs> are, yeah. <laughs> every, every writer has their, has their like phrases that they kind of go back to again and again. And Well, you know, it's like, interesting how we kind of um, suddenly make our characters like trained psychologists almost. Um, and I think it goes into, we really are intimate with the, with all the characters or we should be as the writers. Right. But um, whenever I'm talking to, to any of my writing clients, it's like, well, why, why would they know that that's what they're doing? You know, or like why half the time we don't know what we actually feel, you know, until it's like, let's lead up to like a big blowout. You don't start out like super, super, super angry. You start out frustrated and then another scratch comes and then another, and then like this and everything starts falling apart or like, um, and so like making our characters so in tune with their own emotions and everyone else's emotions is just unrealistic, right? Like it right. has, they have to have observances that aren't always correct almost you know or like or they they just can't be super deep all the time like that would be right. really annoying to be friends with that person <laughs> right I mean you can't yeah your characters have to be flawed too and they can't like you know and just you know like this well he said that to me because well you know he's got you know, he's got like rejection issues or something. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't want your character like psychoanalyzing everything. I'm not sort of psychologist. But yeah, like just um I think just coming at it from like looking at your own life and, and the people and how everybody has like this different perspective. Like two people could just have this totally different perspective. And that's why they're arg arguing because they just right. they they both have experiences that shape them. They both have sort of like trigger points that, you know, like maybe one person feels, you know, gets defensive because, you know, it just sort of always feels like people don't listen to her and, you know, and, and the other one could have a history of like being criticized or just like takes anything as criticism, you know, and then when you right. put those personalities together, they're going to clash. So the characters might not be aware of why they're, you know, why they're reacting this way because they don't understand the other person's perspective, you know? Right. But That's you important. as the writer can sort of think about that as, you know, as you're writing the book and before you write the book and, you know, do some research into different personalities, types and archetypes. Yes. And I know you've talked a lot about this kind of thing, like, you know, and, um, you know, I think people have like positive or different personality types types have like positive traits that right. and then they also have sort of negative traits mm -hmm. associated with them like if um I don't know like if someone I'm trying to think of an example like if someone is like really um 
nurturing. You could have like mm-hmm. a, another character who's like very nurturing. So the positive aspects of that character that she's, you know, she'll do anything for you and she'll, she's really, really protective. Um, the negative aspects is that she could be too overprotective and annoy right. people, like annoy her kids, annoy her husband. Like right. she be, she, you know, maybe she's too controlling um, right. because she just wants, you know, she just wants to take care of them and wants them to be safe, but she's like, you know, you know, like going overboard them from what they want to do, you know? Yes. Especially <laughs> like the, if the other character is like more of an independent and now they don't understand each other and she thinks right. she's being disrespected and the kid thinks she's being smothering or whatever. Yeah. That right. I, I, do you see that quite often where they just sort of have a, a, a character reaction? Like I always like to use James Bond because he's not very conscientious. He, he's not very emotionally attached, let's say. And then all of like you have that sort of character who, when a woman bursts into tears, will like then have compassion and hug her. And you're like, no, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't work. You have to con- you have to continue with your character even as they're learning, right? But they can't do like a 180 degree turn on how you've set them up in the beginning, right? Or like suddenly right. in a in a fight, they're gonna they're still even if they be, are becoming more balanced, they're still gonna react how their personality is like a nurturing person isn't going to suddenly like, well, I'll abandon everybody because nobody wants me to do anything (laughs) anymore. You know, I mean, a crisis mode, they're still going to react exactly as they are, right. They're going to go mother hen. Um, So do you, do you see that a lot where, where people sort of don't be, aren't consistent then with the characters? Is that. Yeah. They're not consistent because they didn't really decide early on, like, Oh, a good exactly one. what the dominant traits right are and then or they just change too too drastically like at the end I mean you definitely want the character to grow and evolve and you know but you know maybe you don't everything about them isn't going to change what do you want to focus on like what's the yeah. character arc what is the you know what how do you want them to evolve in the book you know so they're not going to become another totally different person you right. know um and you have to kind of build up to whatever the change is going to be. You have to build up to that. And and then some book, some manuscripts, like by beginner authors, you don't see that build up. It's just, you know, yeah. they got from point A to point C, but point B is kind right. of muddled about, oh, how, they, that's a good analogy. about yeah. how they got how they got there. And I and I think a lot of times that's just like the lack of clarity when you're writing about okay. what your character's personality traits are. So I think, I mean... I like to do like when I'm writing a book, I do a lot of free writing from the ca- character's point of view, just kind of like journaling, like tell me about yourself or tell me what yep. bothers you, what, yeah. you know, or what sounds weird to non-writers, it sounds right? Weird, but yeah. <laughs> um, and and writing I, their trigger points. I love writing. What is yeah. the story behind the trigger point? Like why does she no longer trust men? What happened? Right. Yeah. right. And sometimes it can just be helpful to look through books of like archetypes or personality types and, um, looking at the positive and negative traits associated with them. Um, you know, like another thing, like I'm actually, I'm interested in astrology and there's yeah. an astrologer I follow who talks, um, Deborah Silverman, she's kind of interesting because she always talks about, um, even looking at like the, the different signs, like how there's, okay. how they have like characteristics associated with them. And she'll talk about like the high road of that sign and the low road, which is the same kind of thing. Like, right. um, you know, like a cancer, like who's someone who's like, I'm a cancer. <laughs> someone who's like, 
again, like the nurturing and homebody and like to take care of people. But then the other, um, the low road of it might be like being too, you know, never wants to leave the house, never never wants to do it, you know. Um, that kind of thing. Or, right. Um, so it's just think about whatever personality traits, you know, wherever you get get that inspiration, whether it's like from astrology, whether it's from, you know, archetypes or person, you know, personality yep. books, wherever you get that inspiration. Think about what the high road of that trait is and the Good low point. road, like, and then that will drive like how your character reacts in different situations. And then um, and then that will drive like what kind of nonverbal communication and body language your characters can use um right so i think it's just helpful to think about all of that you know before you start writing the book or if you're already writing the book then just kind of stop and think okay what you know what am i trying to get across with this character's personality and how does it come into conflict with this character's personality you know why is this character you know um acting this way and just really think about that and then that'll help you get a better understanding of them because if you're kind of vague in your mind about you know, their, their personalities, it's hard to, to make the reader really understand. Cause if you don't understand right. it, the reader's yes. not going to, the reader's not going to. Yeah. Right. So that's so, so you, true. Right. So you have to understand it as the author, why they're doing these things and why they're acting that way. And even though your characters obviously aren't going to be like psychoanalyzing each other, you're putting, you're yeah. putting, you're deliberately putting them in these situations. And, you know, because, you know, this is the way you created them and you deliberately having them act this way because you've set these you've created these personalities for them and you have and your job is to show it to the reader yeah. without just b- telling them like oh this is why she did this or, or be, you know or banging them over the head with it like, like going you know over where you just have to weave in these reactions um, right with, this, with the dialogue and the story you're telling yeah so sometimes when you get to the end you know them so much better which means you have to go back to the beginning yeah right and then just probably rewrite it. And I th- I have found as a writer, sometimes the beginning scenes, they just don't work. They were just kind of exploring the character at some point, And they're just not going to work um, because of who they've really become. <laughs> you know, so right. they need to, then you just sort of have to chalk it up to practice <laughs> and write yep. a different scene, right? Um, right. And all of that's going to help you. It's just going to make the book so much better. It's going to connect with the reader. Um better, you know, and people are going to love it more and buy the next book, right? Um, So can you talk to us about this writing toolkit? Like, what can people expect? I mean, you have so many different options, and we'll have all the links in the in the show notes below, but you have a writing toolkit that is really created to help writers. Like, I mean, what we talked about is a lot, right? Like, okay, now you guys expect me to go back through my manuscript <laughs> to remember everything you said. So you create things just like the editing course for writers to like not have that overwhelm. So what right. is in this toolkit? Our tool so it's belt called, right. the, um, <laughs> called the Energize Your Writing Toolkit, Cheat Sheets for Character Emotions. And the early uh, the early draft of this was, was something years ago I kind of created for myself because this was okay. nonverbal communication was always an area that, that I found challenging as a writer. And, and so I would kind of like, I'd like brainstorm different ways to express like anger or arrogance or 
boredom, things like that. And I had the, yeah. I made myself these cheat sheets just okay. so that like, if I, as I was going, you know, I'd write my scene and then I'd kind of be like, okay, I want to go back and pump up the scene a bit. And I'd go through my list of prompts and that would just kind of get my memory and my right. inspiration going. So, so that's why I created it initially for myself. And then once I became an editor and I was working with a lot of clients and I saw that they, oh, it wasn't just me. It was like everybody's, which is nice. Having, <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're all having the same issue. I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these same um, issues on like almost every manuscript I'm editing. So that's why I, I expanded the toolkit. So it's, so it's, um, it's a mini course, but it includes like a hundred page um, PDF. Um, and it talks about, nonverbal communication, what is body language and gives a lot of examples. And then it's broken down by category. Um, So there's different categories like anger and arguments, like annoyance and frustration, like compassion, confidence, contemplation. I'm like reading some from (laughs) people like excitement, fear, happiness. Um, And it's just different ways to express those emotions. So it's, you can either like, you can just kind of, copy and paste some of the prompts, but I, I encourage you to use it as inspiration just to get your brain thinking of, of, of like, oh, okay, I could say it that way, or I could say it this way. It just kind of gets your brain thinking. It's like, it has you focusing on this. Like, okay, this is what I want to show. I want to show she's embarrassed. I want to show like, he's a, afraid. Um, but in, instead of just like, kind of, you know, when you're writing or editing, you're floundering like, okay, I want to show he's afraid, but how can I, I'm getting a little stuck. I can't think Yes. <laughs> you just you refer to the page on the pages on fear and it just it's broken down into different ways. Um, you know, some of the gestures like touch, facial expressions, eyes and eyes and eye eyes and eye contact, different ways you can show fear through those um kinds of um emotional prompts. So right. it just it gets your mind, you know, it just it just kind of gets you focused on that and then it can make it easier. A lot of people have said it just, you know, they refer to it all the time because it just um, they don't have to like remember all the right. common reactions <laughs> to like so or like or like lying or if somebody feeling relieved. I have pages on that. Like they don't have to remember like all the ways that the little tells that people might have if they're lying. That you know they can just look at this and be like, oh yeah, they might do that or you know, right? Yeah, and like you know, how can I maybe it's put that into context? You know, use like some of the details of my scene and setting, and how can I even put a pressure spin on that or you know, um, yeah, so that's basically what it is. And then I have some like videos that shows how to use it. And then some, a lot of different bonuses, like cheat sheets on, um, you know, um, developing your character and, Mm -hmm. um, like a little, some like color wheels that have like the different emotional categories. So you can kind of keep it near you as you're writing just to kind of jog your memory so you don't have to remember all the different categories of number of communication so right and remember how many different emotions humans have (laughs) i feel like sometimes it gets like happy sad angry i don't know (laughs) and and remembering that they are they're supposed to be emotional right so that like sometimes i write a scene i'm like hmm what is their emotion in the scene maybe we should go back and put an actual emotion in like yeah sure sometimes we can just be like Okay, you know, flatline, but probably not a whole book. You know, that's that's <laughs> right. probably not good. <laughs> so. And I like I encourage 
even though it's like a sort of like a reference book, I, I encourage people like I have on like one, on, like on the left side of every page um, with the prompts, it's like a list the different prompts and the different subcategories for that emotion. But on the right side, it's blank lines. So uh-huh. I encourage people to like print it out, put it like in a binder or something and then add to it. You know, oh, cool. okay. if you're like reading a book and you, you saw it like a really fresh way, somebody describes something, you know, you know, write it down and not that you're going to, use that or copy it but just like oh that it's just for inspiration right you know to just to kind of to increase your awareness of um all the creative ways you can express you know, have your characters express these emotions and show how they're feeling so just you know or sit down and like right you know one day you know just sit down and brainstorm like okay this is stacy's list of like for um showing like romance and attraction showing like chemistry between people let me like brainstorm a list of my own I'll, you know I'll write yeah. it and in that way you just have it's it's just you're always adding to it and um so you just have then you'll just have this great reference thing that you can pull out as you're editing or if you're stuck on a scene right. um and it just becomes you don't go down own. the google rabbit hole right you just kind of make it your own like this is yeah. give you a starting point with a lot of um I think I have like more than I don't know, 4,000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, so I'll give you a good starting point, but now you make it your own and you add to it and, and then take the, some emotions might be harder for you to show than right. others. You know, you might be like a romance writer and you're great at writing like the romance scenes and the romance and attraction, but you have trouble writing like the, the argument scenes or something right. like that. So, you know, just becoming aware of what your strengths and weaknesses are and then trying to, um, build that list of you know so it's like a cheat sheet that you can yeah um, like you said go out and observe people my favorite is to take a walk and listen to couples (laughs) 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 that's what I'm doing and sometimes I'm like wow they're mad at each other (laughs) (laughs) that's the writer in me but then it makes me think how can I add that yeah, go right in. I'm gonna go pull out my binder and I'm gonna write what she's <laughs> like with my pen and paper. Like, look at how she did that. I see that, you know. Yeah. But that's great. I mean, that's this is what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to capture the the human essence of different things, and we can't hold everything in our head. I think a cheat sheet is great because it will help. It kind of helps the writing go faster. A, I don't want to go down the Google hole when I'm trying to write, and B, sometimes my brain just gets stuck. <laughs> yeah. I need to pull this out of, you know, my binder and look at it. And um, it has helped me, honestly, to remember how many different emotions there are and to actually think when I pull out your cheat sheet, it's like, okay, he's afraid, but he's actually not going to admit that he's afraid. And so that might come out as shame, like he's ashamed of being afraid. And so like, what could, how could I show you know, the reader is going to realize he's probably afraid, but you know, like what's his personality. And so I, I sort of look over that and that might take me like five minutes instead of going down the Google rabbit hole, take me three hours. Right. And then (laughs) it's like, okay. And it, it really does when you, you're still thinking about your story, right? So you're not outside of your story anymore. You're still thinking about your characters. I find that I then can get out like 500, a thousand words. No problem. You know, because I haven't left that story. I haven't gone down, oh, look at this new disease they have on the sideline of the Google thesaurus that I'm looking at. You know? <laughs> so, you know, this is not just 
Like it won't take you out of the story is what I'm trying to say. When you pull out these cheat sheets, it's still part of writing. It's still part of that process, right? If you're editing and you're in it and you're just like getting deeper, it's just all part of learning to become a better writer, I think. Right. Just helping you to focus on this area more. And even it's, it sounds like a small thing, like the nonverbal communication and body language, but it really, you know, makes you think about the bigger thing is why are they doing that, you know, and help you just to, you know, flesh out your characters and, you know, make sure that you understand their motivations and then, okay, so that's why they're acting like this way. And this is how some ways I can show it on the page to the reader. Yes. Mm. I love that. So we're going to have the links in the show notes below, as well as links to finding all things about um, Stacey Juba and her courses. And thank you so much, Stacey, for coming and talking to us today about nonverbal communication. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.